I'm Fred Burton, host of OnTIC's Protective Intelligence Podcast, where we share stories from security professionals to shape how we view the future of the industry. Today, we're sharing a selection of episodes in the form of two-minute clips that emphasize not only the value of security, but how to effectively communicate its impact to the broader organization, earning internal buy-in and fostering a sense of trust with stakeholders. In this special episode, you'll hear from chief security officers, analysts, and legal experts to learn how they've navigated around this challenge and keep people, property, and reputational risk at bay. Thank you for listening to our series. Let's get started. The first episode we're highlighting features a good friend of mine, Louis Sage Passant. Global Strategic Intelligence Manager. Lewis shares why it's critical to speak the language of business to understand how your risk strategy fits into the broader organization. Lewis, uh, I know that you're a student of intelligence history, and as you look at uh, the role of strategic intelligence helping businesses, how do you look out over the horizon and anticipate risk? That's a great question. I think the most important thing is you've got to understand the business. I think too many of us have a habit of coming out of the military or the intelligence services, joining the the private sector world and, and bringing that, that mindset of, of kind of the military way of doing intelligence with us and not quite realizing we're, we're in a very different landscape. A lot of the methodology is, is helpful. A lot of our experiences are certainly going to be very helpful in doing this work, but we're doing it for an audience that is very it's very naive to intelligence. Most business practitioners have not been on the receiving end of intelligence in the way that most government practitioners have. And that's something where you know, I think my, my leadership at Salesforce has been very good at recognizing that, that it, you know, traditionally intelligence and security can be seen as a cost center for business. And Keith and Mohammed have been very forward-footed of going out and finding ways we can support the wider business and how we can shift our way of doing intelligence to not just serve the security team, but also serve the wider money-making parts of the business so they can go out and orient themselves strategically. So I think that's a really important part of it, learning to speak the language of, of business. And I think it's something that um, really the education piece in the in the sector is probably missing on because i think so many of us are relying on those past lives in in government intelligence that we're not necessarily uh we're not necessarily familiar enough to speak the language of business yet so like i say taking time to learn the business to orient yourself and understand what does this really mean for us am i reporting this thing because it's simply geopolitically interesting or does it actually impact the business is it something that's going to change the way we operate that we need to know about You can't take business risks without being risk-informed. Adam Cambridge, manager of enterprise risk intelligence at MITRE, discusses the importance of adopting a new mindset where security goes beyond traditional protection roles and is embraced as a team effort. Uh, But in the private sector, in particular, one imperative for us is this idea of not being a cost center. You know, we, we need to position our security programs to increase the likelihood, on one hand, of success for an organization, 
you know, our most important business initiatives by managing security risk across the enterprise. And that's hard to do. So successful organizations need to appropriately balance risk without taking risk that is unnecessary. So how can we be responsible for taking risks in the business environment without understanding them? That's where security comes in. And doing it right is hard. Uh, It's a team sport, requires a lot of data, synchronized activities. And this idea of a cyber physical convergence we're seeing today when everything is networked, including the cars we drive, means a lot of shared risk. And this requires a mindset change. And technology is a big part of it, but not the only one. So the changes I, I hope or expect to see in the next few years is really a better integration of physical security with other disciplines. And the use of technology and industry-tested best practices to break down silos, to enable more synchronized, multidisciplinary approaches to protecting our assets, especially our people, is really important, I think, moving forward. And when I talk about managing security risk, I'm talking about nearly any kind of risk that could imperil the success of an organization, whether it's the private sector or not. And this means we're talking about employee retention, talent recruitment, the threat of foreign malign influence, cyber intrusions, the whole thing, potentially violent individuals. There's an interplay between these risks that necessitates looking at risk drivers in a more holistic way. So organizations like us, we're trying to foster this environment of speed and agility and risk-taking. And, you know, because we want to drive faster innovation, be more competitive, but you can't responsibly have a risk-taking culture without being risk-informed. And that's an opportunity, I think, for security in general, including physical security in the next couple of years, moving from this compliance asset protection cost center approach to a framework that's really, you know, you're delivering risk insights and risk management recommendations to stakeholders in a way that improves business decision making. In the government, we call this providing decision advantage to policymakers. In the private sector, it's more about avoiding foreseeable and manageable risks. When we think about privacy and compliance measures such as GDPR, personal data often comes to mind, but it's bigger than that. Organizations need to think about how threats to organizational data can impact a company's ability to operate, their financial status, and reputation. Karen Moore, Chief Compliance and Privacy Officer at Unisys, speaks with host Dr. Marisa Randazzo on why it's critical to have a unified front between privacy, compliance, and security. I certainly had never worked with the information security team in the past, and now our CISO uh, and I speak almost every day. In fact, he was pinging me two minutes before this podcast, like, can I talk to you? Um, and, and we present together to the security and risk committee of the board because a lot of what I have to say impacts what he's doing and, and vice versa. So um, I think there were a lot of silver linings here and unexpected consequences, um, unintended, uh, but but mostly beneficial because it did shed a light not just on how do you manage personal data, but how are you managing data full stop? Um, And in this whole uh, area of cybersecurity, threats to organizations that can have just these incredible uh, 
bad effects on your ability to operate, let alone your reputation, let alone your financial uh, status. I think that uh, the fact that there was a little bit of an earlier interaction between information security and uh, and privacy and, and the law department generally uh, was very beneficial to companies to start looking at this as a holistic view on uh, data management, not just privacy, not just company systems. When you have a retail footprint in nearly 40 countries around the globe, information floods in faster than one can consume. I spoke with Dan Maloney, Chief Security Officer and Senior Vice President of Global Corporate Security with Verizon Communications, about how he keeps senior leadership aware of risk that is most prone to cause harm to the company's global ecosystem. By proactively identifying and addressing these risks, Dan and his team work to contain any potential threats to safety and the company, allowing for prompt response and mitigation. At my level, I am looking at within those respective verticals, what are the most important things that I need to be made aware of and um, kept abreast of so that I can keep the senior leadership of Verizon aware of what they should know. They don't need to know everything, of course, uh, nor do I, but uh, the things that uh, I consider most um, prone to cause harm to the Verizon ecosystem or the people that comprise this ecosystem are the issues that I, uh, that I'm going to be most uh, aware of on a regular basis. Now I will tell you, I am guilty of, of dipping into the weeds probably more than I need to, not because, uh, uh, oh, quite frankly, because, you know, the way we've seen things trend over the last few years, if um, we know enough now to know if something is moving down that spectrum of violence, right? And however that's going to manifest or show itself or whatever that attack vector is going to be, whether it's technology-driven, country-driven, person-driven, whatever, you know, we know enough to know now where I need to step in and ask, hey, what's happening on X? And, um, you know, you know, staying abreast of the things that I, I consider sort of most immediately in need of my concern. So look, it's very dynamic. You know it as well as I do that, um, you know, things can pop up. You know, w- one day we're dealing with an issue in North Asia and then South America and then Basking Ridge or Ohio, and they can span the categories of uh, security that we all are very familiar with. So I, you know, I think the teams, the technology, um, and I'll give you a couple examples of this as we get into the conversation, if that's okay. And then, you know, how quickly we're able to respond, contain the problem before it becomes a threat to life and safety or, or, or the company itself. Um, you know, bringing all those things together with the teams who can work interchangeably and interactively with each other is, um, you know, I'd say that's how I do it and how the teams do it. And look, as good as we are, and I think we are very, very good, by the way, we are constantly in learning mode. So. Um, anyway, hopefully that gives you a bit of a sense of, you know, how we're looking at things on a daily basis. There are a few industries that have evolved in the past few years more than travel. Host Chuck Randolph talks with Ken White, Expedia Group's Senior Manager of Physical Risk, Intelligence and Investigations, on how he prioritizes what's most important for the C-suite to know when faced with an array of potential threats to the business.
how do you manage the data flow that comes into Ken on a, on a daily basis to kind of understand what's happening in the world that you need to think about? But I think that that's developed over time from working with a lot of experts in the space and, uh, and just observing um, uh, how to best triage information as it comes in and then and an understanding based upon the needs of the business, the command, you know, whatever you happen to be doing at the time. Um, focusing in on what's really the most important to the business mm -hmm. and then drilling in into that information and understanding how it's going to have a material impact on your overall operations and then working in your risk mitigation. Um, so how do you how do you then translate um, the idea of like what's important to the C-suite to these requirements? Because really that's what we're talking about. It's like, look, your job is to kind of understand based on public information of what's coming down from hire to say, hey folks, this is what we need to focus on. So how do you, how do you, because oftentimes, let's face it, we're in the security world, we can sometimes have a interesting attention span. So how do you keep people focused on what the C-suite needs? Well, and, and I think that depends on your business model too, right? Okay. I mean, so, you know, if, if it's an, you know, I didn't have to worry about protecting an IndyCar executive. I just had to worry about pulling tires over the wall and, yeah. you know, draining the methanol back in the tank and things of that nature. I think that's why I love that job so much because it was simple. Hyper-focused and... Yeah, you. the only thing you worried about was how fast you could get those tires changed and how fast you'd get that car in and out of the pit, right? That was that was a, that was a super fun part of that job. But I think that, that model changes over time too. You know, if you're talking a defense uh, industrial base executive, yep. for example, and uh, and we happen to be at war, there's military conflict somewhere, uh, we're developing or delivering uh, weapon systems that could have a material impact on a particular nation mm -hmm. uh, that could put those executives in a higher state of risk, uh, then you're going to build that model out a little bit differently than you would, for example, for an executive within a travel company, which is, you know, the, the idea behind it is powering global travel for everyone everywhere. Right. And, and getting everyone to understand is like, hey, the better we understand each other, the more we help each other, the more cultural understanding we build, um, and the more tolerance we have for one another's differences, uh, the better outcomes we're going to have. And so different, a little bit of a different model and methodology with respect to applying that to a travel company executive versus perhaps a defense industrial base executive. Jim Bernhardt, corporate security leader at the Nicola Motor Company, is constantly thinking about ways to develop and communicate metrics to leadership on the impact of security. He tells host Chuck Randolph how he uses company-wide documentation such as the 10K to educate his team on risk factors and develop metrics to address them using language that makes sense to business units throughout the company. So in my career role, I like to look at the financial report, that 10K. Yeah, I love that. Quarter. Just to pick I out just what, for everyone's sake, I did not pay Jim to say that. So thank you, sir. <laughs> no, I, it's a, it's a great way to to get you know what the company has said that risks are. So then you can write those down and see the ones that you can have an impact on as a security provider or security professional at your company. Because um, then they can't claim that it's not a risk because you know they wrote it down. So. Well, well, that's true. Hey, I wrote it down, but also I've taken. You know, I've heard people kind of poo-poo the 10K before, but I'm always one that's like, this is what's being reported to the USG. It's, right. Therefore, you know, these risk factors are important at some level. What's well, a good inroad as a security person to get buy-in because 
you know, they can't say it's not a risk or it's not that important. Right. What you want to do isn't going to impact anything because they've already kind of documented that. So, yeah, and I like your idea too. Like, I'm going to list it out and then underneath it, you know, however you do it, spreadsheet or whatever, like, what am I doing against this risk? Right. Like you're saying, you can kind of come up with different ways that that. 10k can be impacted so adversary or just an employee an insider threat or you know outside person trying to cause harm to the company um, come up with different scenarios and then plan against how you how you mitigate those you know what are more likely than the others and then mitigations that you could put against that and then get you know what the company would approve you know spend wise so it's also a good way to budget against industry jargon is just noise when it's used outside a particular group this is particularly harmful when communicating an imminent threat to senior leadership at a company. Bruce McIndoe, president of McIndoe Risk Advisory, sits down with host Chuck Randolph to discuss how the digital transformation that's happening in security has made it easier to use common operating information when reporting risks to other areas of the business. Most organizations that I work with stink at <laughs> federating and normalizing data so that people can make cross-functional decisions. And if you think about like an investigation platform, yeah, right? Yeah. You know, it's like you put all that information in there and then if somebody's doing an investigation over here and there's a nexus, that software is going to say, hey, wait a minute. You know, this and, we and saw this guy two weeks before absolutely. here. Right? And I think that's the interesting thing about another buzzword I think that we've had for a long time that's actually coming into fruition is this idea of digital transformation mm -hmm. and the ability of the digital space to make common operating language information and a picture because you're right then you go to this you know you want to go to, if you're the CSO of right. of this organization maybe that we've just created in this moment mm -hmm. you want to be able to go to the CEO and give them information by which they can make an informed decision not say, hey, here's French, and I know you speak English. Can you figure it out and tell me what you want right. to do? Uh, yeah. But you're right. I mean, what what was the response to that individual when you said, look, you're already doing it. I'm just going to help you institutionalize. Because, yeah, so, and I use that conversation now with COOs and others that I'm working with. It pay, basically, it puts them at ease and it empowers them because they're like, you know what? Yeah. We did do that. That you know, so so, it's like we are our own worst enemy, right? All these tribal business yeah, continuities, sure. five physical. We, you love, know, we all we have our, our language. language. We have our certifications, our jargon. Well, I mean, and, you know, and you go up, you go up a level, and they're like that. It's like you know, it's just noise to them. Journalists in high-risk environments cannot effectively do their jobs without feeling secure in the area they are working in. Matt Bohatch, Director of Global Security and Site Operations for The Washington Post, spoke with me about how he gets buy-in from leadership to support these risk-prone employees, keeping them safe, thereby driving value to the organization. In your industry, in your sector, is there a fair amount of cooperation? I would say so. Yeah. I mean, it, it can be um, a lot of the industry tends to operate in silos, uh, unfortunately, but, you know, I have great support and leadership here at the Washington Post uh, to be able to break down some of those barriers. And I think in my time here, we've done a really good job of doing that um, to get that cooperation, uh, to let 
folks know that we are here as a resource to them. We are here to support them. Um, we understand the mission. Uh, and, you know, there's nothing that um, we haven't seen before. And I think that, um, you know, a lot of journalists are really just tend to operate in their own bubble, um, not just away from security, but just the company in general sometimes. Um, and, you know, it's really just trying to break through to some of those folks, especially the higher profile uh, journalists that are forward facing and, and really receiving a lot more uh, active threats uh, to be able to provide them with an understanding of what it is security does, how we can help them, and then really showing them uh, through example of that. And we have countless examples here um, in my time where we could point to where we've helped a journalist out with an issue, whether it was a physical security issue, uh, threat assessments, uh, privacy, uh, and really the list goes on. And most of those journalists have walked away, you know, very appreciative of the services that we provided them with. And really, um, I think that that catches, catches on and, you know, journalists talk. And uh, we've seen a lot more of our population coming to us uh, for support uh, year on end since I've been here. And, I, and my hope is that trend will continue and we'll continue to get the buy-in, we'll continue to get the support from the leadership uh, here at the Post and that the, uh, you know, the newsroom will continue to come to us with their issues because really that's what we're here for. You know, we're here to support them and their mission. And uh, that's the most important thing for me is to make sure that they can effectively, safely do their job. Um, and, and sometimes the biggest hurdle is just communication. It's just letting them know what, letting them and having them inform us of what their problems are and letting them know that there are resources in place here help support them and, and what they do for a living. Sandy Perez, lead intelligence analyst for Alcon, likes to think of herself as a resource librarian for others in the organization. However, her resources are only valuable if they are framed in a way that the audience can use to make decisions. In her discussion with host Dr. Marisa Randazzo, she shares how she transforms information into usable products for her stakeholders. my time at the U.S. Secret Service, the intelligence analysts there were really kind of, the, they were the underpinning for so much of the protective operations. It, they were the ones who had the information, just as you were describing, and, and would put it into usable products. Um, it, as you're talking about keeping your audience in mind, how, how do you do that? How do you take raw information and put it into a form that can be used for protection and, and used for security in this sort of predictive and proactive approach that you're talking about? Uh, well, I think I've been pretty fortunate because obviously experience helped me. I've kind of, you know, as far as my experience, I've, I've been working with law, side by side with law enforcement for 23 years. I've been an analyst for eight of those years. So I've had a lot of experience on the different types of products um, you know, PowerPoint versus a dashboard versus a written product, a threat assessment. So um, when I came to Alcon, I was new to the private sector and I really just reached out to my leadership to kind of find out, you know, I can give you a template. I can give you uh, what I think you want, but, you know, please guide me. And what really helped, um, which I think is kind of funny, is that my my manager was, you know, he often would return my product and say, so what? 
what is the so what of this product? <laughs> and it's it's funny because that's really like ingrained in me now when I write the product. Um, but that mentorship and that coaching was really helpful for me when I was developing the product to understand not just what my audience needs, but specific to, to Alcon, what do we need? Thanks for joining me on this special episode. Please subscribe to hear our future episodes. We have some great ones coming up. Finally, if you have any suggestions for guests, please email us at podcast at Thanks for listening. Thank you.